Um, are we? Are we on? Is this it? We are. Yeah, we're on. Actually, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! This is all all been. <laughs> this has all been live. Yeah, I mean, this all been real. Yeah, Matt does this to me all the time too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, so this is just the chit chat where we start. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'll put on my radio voice. Well, yeah, Matt. Thanks for asking. <laughs> my impression. Modern day culture is this. No, sorry, what did you just say? Welcome to the Pit of Culture, a Mountain Catholic production. Uh, like super small Catholic world <clears throat> that it is. Do you know Father Tim Moriarty yeah. from the Diocese of Helena? I do. So he was one of my mom's I do. classmates in high school. Really? Yeah. Really? How old is he? <laughs> he is uh, 55, I think. He never seemed that old. I guess that we had he had a whole career before he went into the seminary. We were he was the year ahead of me, I think it was. Oh, nice. Yeah, he was at uh, he was at my folks' house because my mom always says that he's a priest because she stood up in class in first grade and said she was going to marry him. And so he's like, "Yeah, yeah. first." <laughs> <laughs> I gotta do that quick, actually. But he took his time though, so that's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he entered seminary at forty, but uh, yeah, super solid guy. But anyways, he was over at my parents' house yeah, a few weeks great ago. Guy. I was like, "Hey, do you know who Father Mike Schmitz is?" He was like, "Are you kidding me? Let's do his homies all the time." He's like, "Yeah." So we went to. Was oh it no S- way! That's cool. Yeah, was it at St. Thomas Seminary? Yep, St. Paul Seminary. Yep. Oh, St. Paul Seminary. Right on the same campus as. Yeah, same campus as uh, St. Thomas, but yeah. Nice. Well, super random. Yeah. So, are you in? Are you in Idaho? Or uh, sorry, in uh, Wyoming, Montana? I mean, say Montana. So Matt's in Montana. I'm from Montana. Okay. But live in Spokane, Washington. Got it. Yeah. Right across the border. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so Matt, did we meet in Spokane at all? Ever? No. I was just going to say that I think I moved to Spokane like. Three weeks after you were here for Steubenville, uh, okay, or something. like got it. that. The end of that summer, I moved here, um, and then, but then, like once I got to know people around here, they're like, "Oh yeah, Father Mike Schmitz is at Steubenville." I'm like, "Wow, you gotta be kidding me!" Well, so I, and I just I was out there for I did a uh, I did a clergy conference or a thing for youth ministers, and then for the priests of the diocese um, must have been last spring, not this spring, but the spring oh. before. I think it was. Interesting. Yeah, I would have been here. And didn't you might have referenced like one of our priests in one of your homilies one time? Yes. Yes. Uh, his uncle is Cardinal Antoine. Yeah. He's from um, Vietnam. Is it uh, Father Van yeah. Gaal? Was that his name? I, I don't know. That's okay. But that was a member that story. he was a priest and he was from Vietnam. <laughs> and I was like, no way. That's because he's like, oh, yeah, you know, all these priests in my family and nuns in my family. And, oh, that's nice. We even have a cardinal. Oh, that's cool. You know, I don't know any cardinals. <laughs> I, I know a couple. And I, all of a sudden, what? That's like the one. You just named the one cardinal that I know. So I guess there's Burke, Dolan. I know. So I guess I know some others. But I'm just, <laughs> yeah. but the one Vietnamese cardinal that I know. So, yeah, can you remind me what the, what was the story um, with Cardinal Van It Tuong? was uh, – he had been arrested as a as the cardinal, Archbishop of Vietnam, and he was in solitary confinement for 19, 20 years, somewhere in there. And he, a couple things. One is he would, he was so contagious that even in solitary confinement, they had to start rotating the guards out because the guards who were there to make sure that he was just, you know, him started becoming Christians. And so they had, they had to start like saying, no, no, okay, you can't be with Cardinal Antoine too long because he makes you stop believing in your atheism and you become Christians. And so, but the, those that he had, you know, uh, convinced or, or, you know, had, had evangelized essentially would smuggle him in uh, unleavened bread and wine. And he would say mass with his hand as the patent and his other hand, he'd cup it and have three drops of wine and one drop of water and his hand would be the patent and the chalice because he didn't have anything else just like that's like just that's insane and he would recite the prayers for mass from memory so because he didn't have obviously didn't have a book or anything it was just remarkable it is and wasn't uh and i didn't actually know this i think it's the priest who i'm thinking of because i don't 
think we have very many Vietnamese priests here, but um, but didn't he had an interesting story of coming over here too, right? Oh yeah, yeah, because we were talking about his uh, he he got in one of the boats. He was one of the boat people essentially. And he got in and it was something like, uh, I think he says something like 48 people were on this boat that was built for six and people are, he's six. How old was he? Maybe 16. I'm not sure how old he was, but people are just dying and, and they're just adrift, hoping that someone would pick them up, hoping they make it to shore. And so I had asked him about, I'm not sure how it came up, but the movie unbroken or the book unbroken, and he said that he said I, I started watching that because in the in the movie or in the book the story of Louis Zamperini he's he's adrift in a life raft in the Pacific for 64 days I think something like this, and uh, he said he was watching this on screen and he just started bawling he couldn't it was just so overwhelming of like that that's what, wow. that's why I left Vietnam and I just I was <laughs> I'm sort of, you know just talking to this guy after there's a talk about youth ministry blah 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 and all of a sudden. <laughs> He's like, here's my life. I'm like, no. <laughs> okay. And I'm complaining about not getting to go to my favorite coffee shop yesterday. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's a travesty. Yeah. Well, nice. Yeah, gosh, that's such a small world. Have you ever been to Montana? I was going to ask. I was going to ask you that. Like ever in my life? Well, ever in your life, ever I in guess, my life. or ever as a priest either. Whatever. I, I biked, I biked uh, when I was... In seminary, I biked from Minnesota to Vancouver, and so I biked through Montana, and then into Idaho, and then went up through the stovepipe, if they call it that, um, into Canada from there. So that was my trip through Montana. Mm. I was on my bicycle. So like just a little bit, kind of. Oh no! From did you say from but Minnesota I, I, up through Canada? Yeah. So I just I just uh, saw Highway Two basically. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Um, so, I mean, so like our podcast is pretty, it's pretty low key. Um, I'm pretty sure awesome. our listeners are our moms and like a few of our friends who like, <laughs> like listen to it, but, uh, but I mean, it's, but it's pretty freewheeling and, um, yeah. so, uh, we've never had a guest on the podcast, so congratulations. You're oh, our first, awesome. You're our first podcast guest. Thank you. Um, I guess we had our friend, uh, Marina, but she could probably count more as a regular anyways. Uh, but we kind of wanted to, uh, I, I don't know, kind of mainly talk about, um, like the work that you do. Um, and then just like kind of engaging the culture, um, mainly because, um, and kind of, like I said in the email, you know, we wanted to, we want to kind of get guests who can maybe address kind of topics or, um, like, or give testimonies that, that lots of other people around the country see, but you know, people in Montana or where we're from might never be exposed to. So, um, I don't know, maybe if you want to start about like talking about your background a little bit, like how you became a priest, what you do. Yes. Right okay. Here. Yeah. Uh, my name is Father Mike Schmitz. I am a diocesan priest, uh, which means I have no initials behind my name because I neither am a religious priest or I don't have a PhD or anything like that. So I'm just like a normal average uh, diocese of Duluth, Minnesota priest. I went, I grew up in the, the diocese of Duluth. Um, and went to a Catholic college when I was growing up. But in that time, it was really interesting because I began uh, taking my faith seriously when I was about 15 years old or so um, after being raised Catholic by what I would say is like moderately uh, or just normally normal. I was raised by normal Catholics. What I mean by that is um, anything that you would say is extra, if they did it, they kept it to themselves. And um, they didn't do anything less than what was expected. I'll say it like that. So, like Sunday mass, absolutely, of course, every time, regardless of where you are. So every time, um, holy is obligation, holy is obligation. Yep, absolutely. Uh, my mom would pray on her own, and didn't like make the rest of us pray with her, kind of a thing. But when it came time for like it's Advent, okay, so we'll like do the Advent wreath, you know, before supper, or we'll do a little Advent calendar you know, kind of as a little ritual in the course of the, of the, of the season. Um, so just like, kind of like really low key, but I didn't like it at all. I was, I was like, nah, I don't had to have any attraction to the church. I wanted to be a good kid. That was basically it. But then when I was about 15 or so, I had a I encounter with Jesus, um, that began with, uh, ultimately began with a recognition of just sin uh, what I mean by that is it was, uh, I think, from the Holy Spirit, where 
as, as we know, the Holy Spirit's the convictor, right? The one who convicts us of our sins, um, as, a, as opposed to Satan, who's the accuser. So that the two different things are uh, Holy Spirit, like, no, oh my gosh, this is one of those things where I realized I knew what the commandments were out there. And all of a sudden it was absolutely clear that, wait, I've, I've broken those. Like, that's me. Like, this is not just a foreign external law that people can follow or not. It was like, I've done this. I'm a sinner. It was this awareness of I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I remember thinking this so clearly. I have no idea what like set it up. I don't know what came before that. All I know is I didn't care. And all of a sudden I had this like absolute, it was grace, you know, Holy Spirit, a uh, conviction of like, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And all of a sudden it was like, bing, like, oh, hey, <laughs> everything that they told me growing up, like they, I have a savior. Wait a second. And so it was this amazing moment of conviction. And again, Satan is the accuser. He accuses us of our sins. So oh, here, here's a little alarm in the background. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's, nice uh, it's okay. Thank you. The, the Satan accuses us of our sins and then he uh, leaves us there. Whereas the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins and then shows us hope uh, to Christ. So that was the beginning um, where I just started began caring. There's more to the story there, but um, I went to a Catholic college and when I was there, I really lost my faith in many ways. In other ways, I didn't. Um, what happened was I uh, would never let go of the Eucharist. Uh, I would never let go of the Eucharist. So I graduated from this college with a degree in theology, took so many theology classes. I could have double majored in one topic. I was a missionary in Central America, working at a Catholic mission, teaching at a Catholic high school, teaching religion, going to daily mass, and I absolutely hated the Catholic Church. Um, Holy cow. And a lot of that was a lot of that was from, you know, well, probably my own pride, my own uh, tendency towards uh, thinking I know better. But uh, another part of it was the, the, the stuff I was taught in school um, was all contradicting the church. So think of any hot button topic uh, of 20 years ago, which is probably the same ones they are right now. And it was, oh, oh that's, listen, that's what your, your priest at home said, but listen, we do theology here. That's catechism. We're doing theology and the church needs to catch up. And don't worry about it though, because we're on the cusp of things and the church will catch up to us. And I was, I kind of just, you know, hook, line and sinker kind of a thing. And, and that's why other people who are less, uh, who are holier might not have fallen as hard as I did, but I did. And, uh, thankfully I just, I thank God all of the time because, uh, I was at this mission. I showed up at this mission after I graduated college, and this mission was Catholic with a capital C. I mean, they were they were run by the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, and they are just this. Incre- I remember being so annoyed by them at first because I was still going to daily mass, and the priests would be up there talking about you know saying things like, "Well, the church is true," or "The church teaches the truth," and I'd be in like in mass, visibly uh, disagreeing with them, like. Shaking my head, like looking at people next to me, like this is dumb. This more guy's a moron, like that kind of thing. Now I realize this as the priest. Now I realize when you're standing up there, you can see everything. <laughs> like I was not getting away with anything. Oh my gosh! So uh, I thought I was getting away with it all. Um, I, it's a, it's a miracle that they let me stay there, that then they teach because uh, it's just yeah. But one day, uh, a couple things had happened. But one of the things that had happened was at one critical moment. One of the teachers, or one of the priests, Father Tony, uh, Father Anthony Blunt from the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, he uh, gave a talk one night. Every other Tuesday night, he would teach the teachers. And one Tuesday night in particular, he taught on Humanae Vitae, which is an encyclical from Pope Paul VI on the church's openness to life in the sexual act. And uh, I was like, I'm not going to that. That's what a waste of time. Like, that's ridiculous. And I know that the church is completely wrong when it comes to this. And I thought, you know, no, 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 I am going to go to this and I'm going to destroy him. Like, I'm going to blow him out of the water. Like, he has no idea <laughs> how smart I am. Like, Father, you have no idea how high I can fly. Or no. But uh, <laughs> so I went in and I sat in the back, the back of the room and I was like, bring it. Let's go. And he started talking. And I thought he'd be like, well, you know, the Holy Father says this and we need to be faithful Catholics. So we need to do he that's that isn't false, but he didn't start there. He started, he said, well, we all know this is true, right? I was like, yeah. And we know this other thing. We all know this is true, right? Well, yeah. Well, if this is true and this is true, then the conclusion is, 
And I was sitting there halfway through the talk. My, I'm just scratching my head, my eyes, my jaws on the floor. I'm like, I, I never, I never, I never knew this. When I walked out at the end of that talk, my world was 180 degrees. I was like, I can no longer believe what I've been believing. I thought that I was so right and the church was so wrong. And he just showed me, not through mental gymnastics or through any kind of trick, but just through, here's the, here's the teaching, here's the clear teaching that I was wrong and the church has been right. And that set me on this path of like, where, where, where else am I wrong? Where else have I been wrong where I think that I'm right and the church is wrong? And that was just, so I thank God for that because I would have, I would have lost, um, not only would I have lost my own soul, I think, but I would have, uh, I was planning on being a teacher, uh, being a, like a, hopefully my hope was a theology teacher at the university level. I would have, I would have, I know I would have led so many people, um, away. And so I'm so grateful to Father Tony and his, the other priest there, uh, Father John McHugh, uh, they're just, I'm so grateful. But because of that, working on the college campus, when I find the students who are especially annoying because they're just like me, <laughs> I realize, oh, I've been there. Like, I, what you're saying, I totally know where you're coming from. And so there is a way in which God can take even like a bunch of messed up stuff and, and be glorified by it. Yeah, dang. Have you ever, did you ever get to like go back and talk to those priests or encounter them ever again, like later? <laughs> so the next day, the next day, uh, Father John, he was talking at the at, at lunch. You know, we had a little lunch break for the teachers, and so I ran over to the rectory to have lunch. And, and Father John was telling the story about he just was disappointed in something that was going on, and he, I was taking the contrary position to him and like kind of like laughing off what he was so upset about, which is again just what a jerk. I'm such a jerk, and so I'm leaving, going back to going back to the school, and he gets steps out of the little porch like. Mike, he's from Oklahoma. Mike, you come back here for a second. And uh, sure, Father, you know, come back in. And he was visibly upset. Now, this man, he was in a German prisoner of war camp for two years during World War II. This man was the co-founder of the Society of Our Lady of the Holy Trinity. This man has been through just, he, when he got to this village that I lived in, um, the priest before him was a Franciscan a missionary. And uh, the Franciscan had been, uh, threatened because the Franciscan had right down the road from us was another village called San Jose. And on the feast of St. Joseph, San Jose, um, the villagers would like have this, they would have revels as they say. And, um, they would just drink a lot. They'd have a lot of bad things happen. And so this Franciscan priest was saying, you guys, you can't do this. This is St. Joseph's day. You're taking this holy day and making it, you know, something it's not. And they were like, you better be quiet, priest, or something bad's going to happen to you. Well, the Franciscan wasn't. So one day in the same rectory kitchen that we all had our, all of our meals, this man walked up into the rectory with a machete in his hand, walked up to the priest and cut off his head right there, killed him in the kitchen that we used to, mar I mean, be murdered this man. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, yeah, it's just like, so then the bishop said, Father John. Will you go to that mission? Because <laughs> the Franciscans were like, you know what? We have to step back. We can't. We're not going to send anyone there. We have to take a take a little break from this. And Bishop said, but Father John, I need someone there. Would you go there? And uh, Father John said, Fine, I'll go there for two years. And by the time I got down there, he had been twenty eight years. Oh my! And God. he started. He had started this elementary school. He started a high school. There was no uh, books. The all the kids he served were so poor that they couldn't afford books. So he started a publishing company just to make textbooks for his students so they could, they could learn. I mean, just this man was unstoppable. He would help everybody. And of course, here I am, like the tool of the world to him. You know, and so he's like, Mike, I need to talk to you. So I go up there and he's visibly, I could tell that he's not comfortable. And I'm thinking, you know, look back on it and go like, okay, this guy's a World War II, uh, not only vet, but prisoner of war two years. This guy's been in this place where they kill priests for 28 years. This guy's been amazing. And he's nervous to talk to me, but he was distraught because I, I think he was wrestling with probably what he wanted to do, which is kick me out. <laughs> and hopefully <laughs> what the Holy Spirit wanted, which was to save my life. So um, <laughs> I was like, I, need, I, I, I just need to know. I just need to know. Uh, I need to know you're on board. You're teaching religion here. And if you're going to stay down here, I got to ask, do you agree with the church's teaching with regards to uh, – openness to life. And this is the next day. <laughs> I just, I'm like, <laughs> I was able to look it right in the eye and say, 
Actually, as a matter of fact, as of 12 hours ago, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I didn't say that 12 hours part, but but he you, he was visibly relieved. Like he was just like, because ah, he because he, he know. I mean, he knew he knew the devastation a teacher could have uh, if they're going to be unfaithful. So, anyways, so long story short, you asked about what, if the priests if I've talked to them since. So I. Uh, he was visibly relieved about that, and then it started this new whole new course in my life of asking the questions. But still, you know, there's a way to ask questions like someone who wants to know, and there's a way to ask questions like a jerk. And I'm good at both. And so, <laughs> Father John, or sorry, so the next year was it two? So I came home, went into seminary. The next summer, there was a wedding of a couple of missionaries. Actually, a lot of those missionaries got married. It was awesome. Like, I, we have a picture of all of us. There's like, she's a religious sister. She's a religious sister. He's a priest. He's a priest. He's a priest. Those two are married. Those two are married. Those two are married. It's awesome. Anyways, at one of these weddings, Father John and Father Tony were there. And I'm like, I need to apologize to these men. I just feel so badly. So I go up to them. And I'm like, Father John, Father Tony, I just, I need to, A, apologize to both of you for, you know, everything I did and all the kind of things. I was such a jerk. And and thank you for being so patient with me. And they're, they're, you would have thought that they had not noticed a thing. They're like, oh, no, no problem. No worries. Like, almost like, really? Oh, all right. Okay, sure. No problem. So I thought maybe they didn't notice. Maybe in my mind, I saw myself as being a bigger jerk than I actually was. Well, no, that's not true. Because <laughs> a couple of years ago, one of our graduates here at the University of Minnesota Duluth, that's where I, I worked out, um, she we actually had a couple students who joined the society of Our Lady, the Most Holy Trinity. One of the young ladies, young women, um, her spiritual director was Father Tony. <laughs> so <laughs> she says, uh, oh, Father Tony, uh, you, you know my priest uh, from college, Father Mike Schmitz. And she said, she told me this later on, she said, he was sitting there and he put his face into his hands, just like with his anguish, <laughs> and he just as his this. And he's like, and he's shaking his hand, shaking his head, and he's like, oh, so the number of nights that Father John and I stayed up, like stressing and, and wrestling over what to do with that guy when he was here, like we, oh, no. I mean, there were sleepless nights because of what he, who he, I'm like, oh, oh, so it is, yep, so I, no exaggeration about how much of a tool bag I can be. Um, so I have apologized profusely and I have needed to. <laughs> It's quite the story of redemption, though. I mean, let's be honest. Yes. Yeah, yes. Oh, praise be the Lord. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Ah, oh, thank God so much for that. Sorry for that long story, though, man. That was no, no, <laughs> no, that's, that's good. I, that's so good. I wanted to ask, Father, uh, and you kind of like already touched on it a little bit, but um, when you so you went off to college and you kind of lost your way. And one of the questions we wanted to ask was what, you know, as a, a college chaplain, how do you help, um, you know, young students? remain steadfast in their faith uh, when there's so many different voices telling them to go away from the faith. Yeah, that's such a huge, huge thing. And the, uh, what I found is everyone's got their thing. Like for me, I wasn't going to leave the church because I knew that tr I knew that Eucharist is Jesus. Like that was the thing. But I was going to be, I, my intention was, I'm going to be one of those Catholics who changed the church. I'm not going to leave the church because I'm because the Eucharist is is full on true. Probably one of those Catholics wants to change. Who's going to change the church? And uh, and that was my issue. So uh, for talking to me, if I was talking to me, um, it would have been uh, one angle. But there's others. So let's go two two different. Actually, let's go three. One potential of the of the voices that that are out there have to do with. Um, uh, this is not true. So this is not true. Uh, that that everything you grew up with, learning about that God exists, that uh, He loves you, that Jesus Christ is unique amongst all other uh, uh, people who found found religions. Like it's not true. So that's one. Another one is this is not relevant. So it just it's it's dismissible. It's laughable. It's has no bearing whatsoever on your life. Now there's can be that from the top down, but also can be from, uh, outside in and inside out. Here's what I mean. Top down is to go to, I talk to so many students who go to class and they get that from their professors where either it's not true or it has nothing to do with your, with your real life, but they also get it from peers external in where it's just like the vibe is, you know what? 
if you believe some of this, you really need to keep it to yourself because uh, the cultural pressure on campuses can be just so, uh, so powerful. In fact, I just had come across a story. I can't remember where I read it, but it was, I was like, this is, these are my kids, uh, my students on campus is uh, there was a story of a young girl or a young woman and she raised solid Catholic family, believed really sincerely, goes to campus and uh, gets involved with the Newman Center and whatnot. At one point in, in school, in class, uh, as she heard around her all of the different voices that would criticize the church or, or, or not even criticize, criticize is an actual thing, Criti- critique you can, you can respond to as, as much, but it's something different. It's like basically the BuzzFeed effect. The BuzzFeed effect is, <laughs> you guys, we all know that this, that X is stupid, don't we? Yeah, we, of course we do. And we all know that Y is great. That's the way to be, don't we? Yeah, of course we do. And that's, that's, that's this thing. Like on the campus, of course, is the, we, the, the we all know effect. And it's that sense of like, well, we all know that uh, to be on the side of like fanatics like the Catholic Church uh, with regards to same-sex marriage is just dumb. Do we all know that, right? That's just, I mean, you're living in the Middle Ages. You're living in, with your head in the sand. And this girl, at one point, she was asked to, uh, to people had to weigh in. It was going to be an anonymous vote. Uh, like, what do, you, do you agree with this issue, same-sex marriage or not? And so anonymous vote. She was like, well, no, I'm Catholic, so no, I don't agree with same-sex marriage. And, and uh, handed it in just to take a poll. So she was the only person in class who said that, no, I, I don't think that that's a the same thing as traditional marriage. And not that she, again, clearly like a genuine Catholic, not that she hated anybody, not she had it out for anybody, but just like, well, no, this is, it's not the same thing. Anyways, one of her classmates later on was like, Hey, what'd you put for the thing? Did you, cause the teacher said only one person said that they weren't for same sex marriage. So, uh, and you're Catholic. So was it you? And kept like going after, going after. And finally she's like, yes. Okay. Yes. I, I said that I wasn't for it. Um, Later on that night, they're at a party, and the guy's like, hey, there's Amy. Amy's the one who – the only one in our class who said that she was not for same-sex marriage. And instantly, everyone turns on her as like this bigot, as this homophobe. And because of this outside pressure that just says if you hold this position, not even we're making an argument about it, but we just – everyone knows, Amy, that's stupid. We all know that that's so backwards. I mean – and this is – that's our pressure, that, that idea. So again, it's not true or it's not relevant, that external as well. And then also the internal. And that internal part is, um, does, this, does this have anything for me? Is, there a, um, is it worth it for me to fight to keep my faith? Is it worth it for me to fight to live my faith? Because uh, on a college campus, well, as, as we all, as the three of us know, in life, if you're going to live your faith, you have to fight for it. Um, that you, I, unless you're, you know, sequestered somewhere where everyone around you is is agrees with you, even then you have to fight for it because we have this thing inside of us called original sin that <laughs> tends to <laughs> want to to cut and run all the time. And so that fight from inside out. Um, so you have the it's not true. You have the, it's not relevant. And then I guess thirdly, you might have the uh, uh, it's not for me. And uh, that it's not for me is like, it could be everything from, well, it's not for me right now. I'm going to take four, four years of a big a break. I'll take a break. I'll come back to this when, uh, when I'm done with the, with the four-year party um, or whatever, you know, that people say that or with the, with the four-year kind of time of freedom. Um, and that's just, those are the, so, so how do you reach a culture? I would say, which battle is this particular student fighting? Is it the, it's not true? Is it the it's not relevant or is it the it's not for me? Yeah, interesting. Well, it reminded me of what well, you said. It reminded me of the priest we know from – we went to Carroll College in uh, in Helena, Montana. So it's small Catholic, right? Yeah. Um, the priest there always says following Jesus at a safe distance is neither uh, following him nor is it safe. So huh. That third point just kind of reminded me. But he, he, he always harps on that for kids because like even yeah. – I mean, gosh, we went to it. I mean, it's a Catholic school, and it's it was pretty solid, um, but I think it was still about half and half, and it was remarkable how there's even that kind of undertone at a place like that where 
like Christianity, God, all of that stuff, all the imagery is so present um, that it's even so hostile that it's, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's sad, right? That, that uh, the attack mentality just comes because like people just react anymore and, and don't know how to think, I guess. Right. Well, yeah. And that, that's the thing too, is there's the, there's, it'd be different if we set up like, what's the objective argument and then actually knew how to argue, like knew how to have a discussion that considered here's this pro, here's the con versus that sense of just cultural pressure. And there's just a lot of, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, bullying maybe <laughs> where, where there's that, uh, even in a level of, or area of higher education, it's, well, I think what often wins the day is not thought, but is, uh, feeling or is culture, mm-hmm. but that's okay because if people are prepared, for that, yeah, it's okay. what do you think drives that, um, from the, from the secular mindset? I mean, like, what do you, where do you think that comes from in your experience at least? Well, it, it seems that it's, so in my experience, all the way back to my own college days, uh, all up through for through now, it's less, I don't think it's driven by malice. I think it's driven by a desire to fit in. Uh, I think it's driven by that sense that says I, um, to hold a position contrary to what all these people, these are the smartest people I've ever met. And think about, you go to college, typically you're surrounded by, at least on paper, the smartest people you've ever met and the most educated people you've ever met, maybe the most cultured people you've ever met. And they're all saying this one thing. And yeah, I know other people disagree, but those are people from my hometown from, you know, Nowheresville, Minnesota, or Nowheresville, Montana, where, like, who care who cares what Father Joe Schmo thinks? Who cares what your ninth grade religious ed teacher thinks? Who cares what your youth minister thinks? Who cares what your mom and dad think? Because they're the uneducated, but we're the ones who, we get it. And I think that pressure, you have so many, uh, and it's, just, it's, self, it's self-perpetuating, because uh, to fit in, you have to, you have to maintain that line. There's a guy named Jay Bujashevsky. Have you ever read any of his books, Jay Bujashevsky? Matt probably has. He, oh, no, you haven't. I have. I've heard of him, but I've never read anything by him. Yeah, so he just, just really smart guy. He, I think he teaches. Was it his, the political history or, uh, I, I don't know. He works down in Texas. And he will claim that when he got hired, he was an atheist. And the reason he got hired, one of the things, one of the reasons he got hired was because he was an atheist. While he was teaching, he became not only a theist, he became a Christian, ultimately he became a Catholic. And he, he said in his books that, he's written in his books that if, if he hadn't arrived as an atheist, then he wonders if he ever would have been hired. And that kind of idea is... It's like, oh, that makes sense. That's one of the reasons why I think it's both in academia as well as entertainment. The percentage of atheists to theists is the exact inverse proportion as the rest of the United States. In the United States, apparently, according to some studies, 90%, 90% of Americans believe in some kind of God. Right. They're theists. In academia and entertainment, 90% don't believe in God, are atheists. Yeah, and so you, you think like, well, what's driving the culture and what's driving like uh, education is, well, these two areas in you know, entertainment and higher education. So even the you say, well, yeah, but not your, your first grade teachers. They don't, you know, you get you, your help your kids. Well, where do the first grade teachers get trained? Right. <laughs> they get trained at a college where likely 90 percent are atheists. And so I think what it is is less malice and more just. This kind of perpetuates itself. Um, yeah, that's my thought. Would, I don't know if that resonates at all. Well, yeah, I was like, it, it just seems to me that um, I've always been kind of fascinated by the idea that like the the minority of people are the loudest, and so like there's this you know majority yeah. that's just silent, um, kind of behind the scenes who are just kind of like going about their business, like the small town Joe Schmoes and you know Nowheresville, Montana yeah. or whatever, like who still hold true to all these beliefs, but like all of us impressionable young people from like freshman year of college on up, unless we meet, you know, like good, well-formed people, 
um, are just going to be made yeah. to think that, oh, this is how everybody thinks. And so, like you said, I think that makes right. sense. I want to fit in. And so then, like, I mean, it makes sense why it comes off as malice when people uh, oppose it because, like, people are identifying with an idea or a group, it would seem like, as opposed to identifying with a person and then respecting the person, even if they have different beliefs or something. I mean, it's... Um, yeah. I, can't, I guess that's, that's kind of what makes Christianity unique, right? Uh, didn't I, I think actually it was it might have been the first talk that I ever heard you give from Seek uh, 2013 I think and you did like the quick rundown of what Christianity thinks what Buddhism thinks uh, or what they basically teach oh yeah yeah and yeah. so Christianity was really the only one who's like we're gonna respect you as a person no matter who you are but kind of all of the other well, yeah. worldviews yeah yeah that sense that um, until uh, the uh, revelation of God through the chosen people, the Jewish people, and then clarified, fulfilled, and expanded in the Christian scriptures, Christian revelation, that no one, no culture in the history of the world believed that uh, human beings are made in God's image and likeness, or that we're all worthy, intrinsically deserving of dignity, or intrinsically have dignity. Like that no one, think of that, that n no Political philosophy, no worldview, no religion ever taught that until Judeo-Christianity. And no, they, that's not to say they're all rotten through and through, but they never taught that. And that transform, ended up transforming our world, as, as we know. Which most people don't, which most people just take for granted and don't even realize, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident. Yeah. That all men are created equal. Like that. That's self-evident at the time of the drafting of the Constitution only because they had been so fully formed by a Christian worldview. And you think, oh, come on, Benjamin Franklin. That's not self-evident. <laughs> you know better than that, sir. <laughs> um, I guess so to keep going on the um, – like what's – in your experience, what's been different on living on a, a secular campus versus um, your experience on a Catholic campus? Like is it in a sense easier to be – uh, in-campus ministry on a secular campus than it is on a Catholic campus? Or is it harder? I don't it seems like it might easier. be an obvious answer. I but I don't know if it's easier, but it's different. Um, and I don't, know if it's more, I, don't, I don't know if it's more difficult, but it's different. I would say that uh, it would seem like, oh, man, it must be so much more difficult. But at the same time, I mean, maybe it's more difficult than it would be if I was at Benedictine or at – Franciscan University of Steubenville, or if I was at um, Ave Maria or something like some of these places that are what seem like to me at least to be like top to bottom Orthodox Catholic. But I think I get spared a lot of headaches that uh, chaplains would have on college or Catholic campuses because like I'm it <laughs> in a sense. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I just make sure that I, I, I live by, work by, play by the rules of the University of Minnesota Duluth, which aren't aren't uh, incredibly difficult to live by. Uh, they they there are some places I think that are partial in the sense that they may only apply the rules to some groups but not all groups. But I think the University of Minnesota system they they apply it straight across the board. They're very fair that way. And so as long as we do what we're supposed to do and don't do what we're not supposed to do, they let us have you know as much access to the students and them as much access to us as any other student group. And so because of that, it's, it's actually worked out pretty well. Um, but when it comes to how it's different is, I would say this, it, it resonates with my own experience is, uh, students, when they go to a college, Catholic college, they might not know that they still have to have some antenna up when it comes to their teachers. And when it comes to what they're going to hear and when it comes to uh, like the vibe of the school, they might say, oh, no, this is just, you know, how it is. But when they come to a state school, typically it's like, oh, no, I know this is this. Is, this school was not established to help me grow in my faith. So if I'm going to do that, I need to do that. Mm -hmm. And I when I when I see that, I mean, that's just it makes it so much easier because there's no wolves in sheep's clothing. There's only wolves. <laughs> Period. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's good though because they they know like no 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 I uh, I it, everyone's showing their cards you know 
and that's mm-hmm. and that's that's a good thing, I think. Yeah. And there are there are, there are sheep. <laughs> yeah. University of Minnesota Duluth, only wolves here. Yes. No. <laughs> True. I'm just exaggerating to make a point. <laughs> um, I mean, like, do you have any, what are like, uh, I'm sure that you have lots, or you've had a fair amount of kids, because how long have you been at? I, this is the start, next week is the start of my 12th year. Wow. On um, campus. Like, do you, is there any, like, some, some stories you always think of when when it comes to, like, Oh, there's like this kid was like you. Maybe even you you saw yourself in the kid. Uh, was like, oh, this kid's right. never ever ever gonna like, you know, be open to any sort of faith, and then like ended up coming to the Newman Center and becoming Catholic, and becoming yeah. a priest or something. Like, do you have any? There's cool been, there been so many like that, so many like that. In fact, I just met with one of the priests in our diocese today, who uh, used to be one of our students, and uh, he. I actually I made a little video. I mentioned him in a video. Uh, little while ago for ascension presents is that uh he first came to mass because well his one of his friends was like hey come to mass with me fine 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 but on the way there she was like you know you if you if you're not a practicing catholic you can't receive holy communion so just go up there for a blessing and he's like what like what do you mean practicing catholic what's that and uh that that sparked that question like what is what do you mean there's a difference between like someone who's baptized catholic like no i went to the whole church classes um, that makes me Catholic versus, no, I'm actually living this. And, uh, he was total, like he had this long shaggy hair. Like he, he always did this thing. Like he'd pull it off his face. I mean, I, I don't know. I think there may, I think we may have at one time or another met while he was still at least halfway baked, um, pre, pre, pre conversion. And he just like, yeah, man. Okay. So like what is it like with all, you know, full on. <laughs> and, but when, when he encountered the Lord, it was just lights out. I mean, it was done. He was done. And, uh, the next, the next year was when he went left, dropped out of UMD, went to seminary. Um, wow. and just this for the last, you know, I don't know, nine years, I think he's been in seminary, just got ordained, uh, and is a phenomenal, phenomenal man. Um, and that, that was awesome. That was just so great. We, and one of the big pieces with him was he had a great focus missionary, uh, helping him along as well. So it was, he was kind of brought into this, but there's another guy. I mean, there's so many of them, but, um, one, I just, he just graduated this last spring and uh, he is the example that I would say that this is what we want with all of our students. He got to campus and same kind of thing. Got, he had a bunch of, you know, trouble with like the law and stuff and high school and finally made it up to this college campus where it's just like, nah, just here to, you know, ride it out until the next thing, man. And, uh, I don't know how, I don't I have no idea how he went to our, one of our, uh, like fall retreats. And when he was there, he encountered two major things. One, Jesus, two, his best friends. He just, it was at this group. He just met these men who just became like not instant brothers with, but very good friends with, and then ultimately brothers with. And to watch him over the course of those, those next uh, five years for him, it took him five years, no problem, no shame in that. Victory um, lap. That, you know, victory lap. Um, he went from being this raw new Catholic to like, okay, now I'm serving, now I'm serving, but he's all fickle, you know, it's up and down, hot and cold, um, doing really well, now I'm really struggling. Um, okay, now I'm going to lead. I'm going to lead stuff. So, Father, where can I lead? I want to. I want to put my my talents to serve the Lord. But basically, that means I just want to be in charge. Um, to working through all that, to having this like the last year and a half, he was the head of our music ministry. And if there's an example of a man who had this servant leadership, that's all about like I just want to help you thrive. I just want to help all these people that is in the music ministry. He's like I just want to help you become the best. Uh, Christian you can be. So he was all about discipling them. And then I, but we need to make music that gives God glory. And, uh, so here's how I'm going to help you do that. And man, he graduated, <laughs> bummed me out so much. Cause <laughs> he's a phenomenal guy. He, he may end up, uh, well, I mean, if he marries someone, he'll be a fantastic husband and father. And if he doesn't, he will be an awesome priest because he, uh, yeah, just, uh, but that's like when I look at him, I'm thinking that's what we want to happen to every student <laughs> that comes through here, coming in, 
doesn't know Jesus, leaving as a mature Christian who's like, I'm going to, no, even though I'm leaving this community, I'm going to spend the rest of my life uh, running with and running after Jesus. That's incredible, man. And like imagine, I mean, because one, it's not unrealistic. I think like a lot of yeah. people would be tempted to say, oh, yeah, that's never going to happen. You know, that you're going to have every kid you know, like that. But that's not unrealistic, yeah. I wouldn't think. And like just how much that would transform your community. Oh, my gosh. So totally. And also three is it had very, very little to do with me in the sense that I'm in his life. You know, I, I really do consider him a, a profound spiritual son. Um, but uh, but like, oh, yeah, Father Mike on your campus, you know, maybe because of this and that. Like, no, no, no. This happened because of his brothers that were there. Like there's a real brotherhood there. It's happened because he committed to prayer. It's happened because, like, yes, I tried to cr- help facilitate an environment where he knows he has a father in me and some guidance that way. But uh, it could be it could be any campus where um, that kind of thing can happen. And so that's that's a big thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's incredible. How is because um, you ha- you guys have focused missionaries, obviously, right? You mentioned. Yes. Um, so, like, can you speak to uh, how Focus has helped transform? Because, I mean, I am where I am because of Focus, um, almost single. I mean, not almost single-handedly, <laughs> but, like, it's a huge, yeah. yeah, it's a huge reason why I am where I am. But, like, I don't know, can you talk about what that's been like having them at your campus? I could not, I cannot um, possibly say enough good things about Focus because, um I worked on the campus for about three or four years on my own until Focus got there. And the difference was monumental. Um, not only as a priest to be able to work with a team, because you know, the staff we have is, it, it's not really a staff. I mean, when you're just yourself. <laughs> and, there, there's, and there's another person. Where I, have, I have a coordinator who I work with as well, and she is tireless. I mean, she's so self-sacrificial and so good. But to be able to say, when the focus here, I just got multiplied by four more people because there are so many people that I cannot. I mean, that the thing one of the th- one of the things I love, but it's also a little bit upsetting, is I can be in the middle of the school year, and there are people who are fully engaged with Bible study, with prayer, with discipleship, and I don't know who they are because the missionaries are doing such a good job and the student missionaries are doing such a good job that these people are being reached and uh, helped to know the Lord. And I have, I mean, oh, your name is Joe or your name is Callie. And I know that, but uh, beyond that, like they're being fed by other Christians and that is phenomenal. Right. It's changed. It's changed so much uh, the way we do our stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. I was at, um, Matt, have you ever, done much like with focus anywhere and like did you you know um i guess i just know a few people who have uh been involved in focus but i've never seen it in action just because you know carol we had um i guess our own internal campus ministers and things like that um which was also good and i think slightly based off of the focus model but um yeah i haven't actually encountered them in person you know doing their thing yeah i um from the other end father uh like i would say the exact same thing because i was at i did i went to grad school at northern arizona um like i've been catholic okay. my whole life right but um went down there i, I it's so funny because <clears throat> i went to four years of catholic school a catholic college but then like i caught fire at a state school um yeah the fact exactly. <laughs> but, exactly it's like what how did this happen yeah but it was like uh, yeah i don't know it's like the yeah the missionaries there they're just so well formed and like they're just trained to kind of walk with you because I didn't know that I didn't know the Lord. You know, I didn't know that I needed to be doing something else. But I was challenged by, uh, like, going to seek. Um, I was like, "Eh, I don't Mm -hmm. know if I really want to go to this. And, like, the missionary said, well, uh, if you're so so sure you're not going to go, why are you afraid to come to this informational meeting? (laughs) So (laughs) then I go and, you know, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, I end up going and then, you know, kind of the rest is history. But then um, Mm -hmm. in Spokane, I've worked a lot at, or uh, helping out at Eastern Washington with Father Paul um, Herrick. I don't know if you know him. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So he, so they just got focused last year. Um, and yes, uh, right when I moved here, I think was or the, maybe the second year I was here. He got ordained a priest in place out there, and they had like ten kids, maybe on a campus of several thousand. Coming to the Newman Center, it was just kind of like a clubhouse sort of. 
Um, but then he got placed there. And I think within a year they had like 50 or 60 coming every week. And then once focus came, yep. it's like, it just blew up, I think like three times that much. And it's just like, it's just kind of incredible. Um, cause you're totally mm-hmm. right. I mean, they just go out and just meet with people. Um, I'm not even getting paid to say this or anything, but like, I just kind of love it. <laughs> <as well. laughs> no, yeah, me neither. Um, but I said same thing. And I actually, I, I meet father Paul. I met father Paul first when he was Paul seminarian, Paul, um, oh, maybe yeah. he's Deacon Paul. I'm not sure. Uh, it was at with one of the Steubenville conferences and I'm like, Oh yeah, it's great. Go get ordained, you know? Um, and then I ran into him a couple more times at last year at, uh, the student leadership summit through focus. Oh, yeah. And, uh, that's what he had said. He's yeah, just crazy. Got on campus. And now, I mean, in a semester it's already, and that's just, it's awesome. But that's the kind of thing. It's like it's not even rocket science. I, one of the things I love about Focus is some of the things that people had to critiques. I know some priests who are like, well, wait, what's – these are just recent graduates? Like, yeah. Well, they don't have like a degrees in theology. They don't have degrees in uh, uh, catechetic, whatever the thing is. Like, no, they're just – her major was engineering. His major was mathematics, you know. Well, what what qualifies them to be able to – and that's the, the genius behind this. What qualifies them to be a missionary is the fact that they've been baptized. <laughs> they've been commissioned by uh, the, the de facto, by their, by their confirmation. Mm-hmm. Um, and here they are. And they're sharing the gospel because you don't have to have a degree in theology to lead people to Jesus. Yeah. And that's why it's replicatable. That's why you can have your student missionaries. Oh, I don't know stuff. Like, okay, I took a five-week class in the Bible timeline. <laughs> I'll show you my notes. That's what I know. But if you know Jesus <laughs> and you love the church, then you can you can share him. Yeah, it's like people would ask so that good. to Peter. Peter was like the most ill-equipped of all of them, and he's like the first pop. Yes. I mean, gosh. Exactly. What's what are your qualifications? I uh, <laughs> fish. I fish. I fish. I'm not super great at it, but when Jesus was around, I got I had some pretty good calls. <laughs> I can swim. I can swim 100 Yeah, I can swim. Way. At least 100 meter is pretty good. My side strokes. Awesome. Have you been watching much of the Olympics, speaking of? Oh, man. I didn't get to watch the first week because we were at a camp for junior high students. And then last weekend... I got to spend some time with my brother and his wife and their kids, and they have this amazing thing called DVR. And <laughs> so at the end of every day, I was just, I was only there for like you know, two or three days. Uh, each day, all the Olympics, we just went, ran, we didn't have to watch any of those stupid commercials or when they're, the, you know, commentators are chattering about like, oh, they went to this in the school and they, da, da, da. I'm like, no, 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 let's get to the race. And it was awesome. I got to watch hours and hours of Olympics in the space of one and I love the Olympics. So what are your favorites to watch? So I'm kind of probably standard with most people. I am a track and field guy. I'm a swimming guy and I'm a men's gymnastics guy, but men's gymnastics is more like along the lines of, uh, I think it's really, really cool. I wish I could do those things. And so it's (laughs) cool to watch it, but I'm not going to like seek it out, but I will seek out the uh, swimming and the running because those are things that I, I had always wanted to go to the Olympics in, uh, but then it just there's some things that happened where I wasn't able to qualify for the Olympics. Uh, the The main thing that happened was I wasn't good enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was perfect. Did you see? I the, really wanted. I mean, that was, did you see the women's four by one uh, relay? What happened to them? I don't know if you watched that or not. No. So no. When was uh, when was that? Well, the qualifying was yesterday, I guess. Um, uh-huh. And they, on uh, Allison Felix, like the second handoff, the Brazilian uh-huh. runner right in the lane next to her, when she like brought her arm back, bumped Allison Felix and made her drop the baton. And no so, way. So she still picked it up and handed it off, and they finished like 23 seconds behind last place. Um, but they appealed it, and oh, then they actually got to try um, running by themselves like tonight. Yeah. To go for the final, and they got the fastest oh. qualifying time. Did they really? Oh, yeah. That's phenomenal. That's so cool. That's it's awesome. Crazy. I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, that was uh, completely random. Anyways, no, I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for sharing that. I uh, I just came. I just uh, did a house blessing right before I got online, and uh, the the people who had this house, uh, the whole family, 
because so there was this bride and groom. They just married each other, and they moved in together after the wedding, which is awesome. Good way to do it. Uh, the groom, his yeah, he and his siblings are all runners, and so after the house blessing, we were just talking Olympics and just. Uh, they're all distance guys. Like they're all like, like not just distance. They're ultra distance guys. That's crazy. So the last race I think they did was like a hundred miler, and all their yeah. friends are all these UM other you know UMD students who are part of our Newman uh, group that just uh, race like crazy stuff like that. Um, you're gonna hear uh, the hour chime now because <laughs> sorry about this. <laughs> That's okay. I am currently in our. Uh, our diocese is pastoral center um, because my house. Okay, talk about amazing students. So we had this group of uh, not group, <laughs> this husband and wife. I guess there's a little group because <laughs> they have three kids. Group yeah, of people. Sure. So she gradu- she graduated from us from our, our you know UMD a couple years ago. Uh, marries this guy from the area. Awesome guy. They move away. He finishes up his nursing training. They have three kids. I mean, all the small kids. They come back, move back to Duluth like a month ago. He's got a full-time job. She's taking care of three kids. They come to the Newman house, and they're like, because we just have like a Newman shack. I mean, it's not like a center. There's some places out there that are just phenomenal. They're huge. They're awesome. We have like, I call it the Newman shack. So I was like, hey, because she was going on about how she loves to do interior design stuff. And like, oh, would you, I mean, you went here. How do how would you how would you make this room nicer? You know, kind of a thing. And, I, and I'm thinking she's gonna put like, oh, put a put a lamp here, put a little end table here, put some pictures on the walls, you know, paint it, whatever. She and her husband are like, well, can we just go to town? Is it okay? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Um, they repped out the ceiling, they installed the recessed lighting. They oh are ins- they're installing like a bar. Like they, they took this piece of driftwood from Lake Superior. They shellacked it so it's going to be like this like heavy duty bar. They're, they're bolting into the wall so students can like have high top chairs to sit up at the. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. And wow. so right now, that's what they're doing at the house. We're going to go enroll and, uh, at UMD and, and so I was like, come to the Newman Center. That sounds actually pretty epic. It's it just and I'm just like these students. There are some students, you know. It, yeah, there's like you can word out there and you can say like the idea of the notion of the consumer Catholic or the consumer Christian is that sense of like, I just keep showing up and you keep giving me stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally involved. But that means is uh, I come for the next Bible study. I come for the next event. I come for the next talk. I come for the next thing. Uh, and that's a real thing. We need to try to get out of that and, and actually be more in- intentional about discipleship. But uh, this this couple and then the students who are still in stu- school right now around them just demonstrate to me that, no, I want to give. I, I want to serve. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And so here's this couple, have whole lives of their own. I want to serve. This be a good thing. It, students will really, it'll actually become more welcoming and uh, students will really get something out of it. But then there's these students. This one student came up to uh, Anna, is the name of the mom, yesterday and said, Anna, I just, I really feel like God is calling me to, just ask you if I can, if I can babysit your kids. Um, sometimes just kind of, kind of just let you do whatever you need to do tomorrow night. And I was like, well, actually, I'm working on the house tomorrow night. It would be awesome if you did that. I'm like that. And there's these students that keep coming up like this and just keep continuing to give. And so, and they're just, and they're just the normal students. Like they're, they're not, you know, uh, I don't know. God's still, God's obviously still doing stuff with. Uh, this world and he hasn't given up on us yeah. it's just i'm so it's just amazing to be in this position that's really cool we were talking on our on the podcast last week um have you ever heard of the book be healed by dr bob Sheets? i have not have you heard of dr bob Sheets? No. i don't know he's, anyways you should check it out because it's awesome um and people are gonna okay. get annoyed because i've talked about this i think like three podcasts in a row but it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing but um in it he talks about how uh there was one part that just like blew me away about how we actually have to say yes to the sacraments and yes to grace in order for them to work. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's really interesting that you say that because um, like, I think father Paul has a story too, um, where this kid came in randomly. I think like it just like broken up with his girlfriend was um, raised Catholic, not going to mass, whatever. And father Paul just like remembers just hearing kind of this little urge, like the next kid that walks in the door, you need to like pour yourself into 
Um, huh. And it was like a, now a year and a half later, and the kid like went to Malaysia on a focus mission trip this year. Is like massive student leader, super great yeah. young man. But it's like I mean, but all it takes is just that little bit of openness, and it's kind of remarkable yeah. what happens, right? Yes, yeah, so that's amazing. But that is that that concept, which I'm sure you've already talked about in the podcast, ex opere operato, which is this. Yeah, the, the sacrament works every time, but according to the grace of the receiver, it's only efficacious according to the grace of the receiver. And that image, I'm not sure, I probably didn't come up with it, but in my head, this is the one that I always associate it with, is that the grace is always there. So here's this massive tub of water. You can place a rock in the tub of water or a sponge in the tub of water. The grace is absolutely there. The rock will not absorb any of it, but the sponge will absorb as much as as possible. And uh, that will I be the rock or will I be the sponge is the yes or the indifference. I think you could claim that. Yes, it will be indifferent. I, I think okay, you can claim that. Then I will. Yeah, whatever. I know. <laughs> who we said it here. It? Trademark. Yeah, trademark. Trademark. Stamp. <laughs> uh, who stamp, said the, the Latin phrase you used? Or is it just? Oh, Exopere operato, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, it came out, I think they might have had to, I'm not sure which, which council established that, but the question had arisen and said, well, what if there's a like a bad priest who uh, celebrates the sacraments? Does that mean the sacraments weren't efficacious, that they didn't actually happen? And the uh, theological conclusion was that, no, they, they work by the grace of uh, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in the church. So not based off the holiness of the minister, but in the, 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 in, by ex opere operatu, by the very act itself. Oh, um, okay. So not based off the minister himself, but based off the very act itself. Uh, and then the other, the other word, I'm not going to get it right, so I'm not going to try it. There's another ex opere something based off, it's efficacious based off of my own openness to the, uh, to the grace that's available. Hmm, interesting. Receptivity. Sure. It was, uh, we should have a heresy quiz and like pause the podcast or something. <laughs> and lit. But that's, uh, is it donatism or donatism? I don't know how to pronounce it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's when you can't. That's when the church, well, not the church, but the heretics said that if you're a Catholic, you couldn't have donuts. Yeah, Dang I think it. It would have been funnier. <laughs> donuts. That's a heresy. That was a good try. No that's donuts. Good. That was dumb. That was, thanks, man. Coffee and donatism. That could be a good blog title. Coffee and donatism. If you're a heretic. Yeah. Oh. There you go. Uh, nice. Well, Cash, we've been going for an hour, which is kind of crazy. So uh, I think we could Thank probably you. wrap it up. But but thanks for um, agreeing to come on. This is yeah, this is a really good conversation. Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you trusted that we weren't serial killers or something. Though we're using Skype, so it wouldn't I matter did. anyways. I do trust that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've seen some of those scary movies where they reach through the computer screen. And I don't know if that's true. <laughs> myself. Never mind. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I we but we really appreciate it, and um, yeah, it was absolutely. great. Thanks Thank you so much, you guys. Yeah, I I am really honored, and I'm really grateful that you guys are willing to, you know, just chat it up with me. So, thanks. All right, do you have any shoutouts? Um, I guess shout out to Rachel Lowe, our newest listener. Uh, out in Washington, and I think she's actually going to contribute an article for us. So, nice. shout out to Rachel, and congratulations on your new teaching job. Yeah, go Rachel. What is she teaching in high school or something? Uh, middle school, um, and she's going to be doing science and math, I believe. Maybe we can have her on the podcast, and she can tell us all about it. Dude, that'd be awesome. Uh, I'm trying to pull up iTunes right now because we got some more reviews from people. <clears throat> Okay, but yeah, so shout-outs to our five-star reviews. Uh, so SC Wilmot, great podcast. I discovered your podcast through the article written by Marina Olson at Pathios. I've been making my way through previous episodes, and I'm finding a lot of wisdom here. So thank you, SC Wilmot. And then I know who this person is, uh, MVR4, five-stars. I found this podcast because I know one of the dudes personally, and I found finally got around to listening and once I started, I couldn't stop. This podcast is inspired good, deep conversations between my friends and I, and that alone makes this podcast the bomb.com. So there you go. There you go. Nice. I think we can talk Bomb.com. I like that. Yeah, boom. So, uh, yeah, nice. So thanks, everybody, for the reviews. Um, if you're listening and you like what you hear, please uh, 
drop us a review on iTunes. We really, really appreciate it. Helps um, other people find the pit of culture. And then also, if you want to drop us a line, uh, mtncatholic at gmail.com um, for podcast topics, article subject or article ideas, or uh, just to say hi, ask your grandma for a shout out or ask for a shout out for your grandma because she's a huge fan or something. Uh, mountaincatholic at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, like us on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere social media is sold. Anything else? I don't think so. Uh, well, I guess we'll catch <clears throat> What the heck is going on? Let me cut that part out too. But, uh, alright. Later. This is so weird when I make a podcast. Yeah, peace.